Warning, this podcast will challenge your thinking. Welcome to Business Problems Solved. In this podcast, we help you solve your business problems by providing real examples and practical approaches to make today better than yesterday. Introducing your host, the multi-sector, self-professed, most improved improvement person and qualified business problem solver, Lee Horton. Hey, it's Lee. Welcome to Business Problem Solved, another episode in the Not Just an International Author mini-series. Leadership, leadership, leadership. And can you crack the code? That's what I'm talking to Alan Hunkins today all about. Uh, Alan is definitely not just an international author. He has so much in value and information to bring you in this conversation. I hope you enjoy it and I hope you learn as much as I did when talking with Alan. Enjoy. Hey, it's Lee. Welcome to Business Problem Solved. Today, I have the immense pleasure of chatting with Alan Hunkins, author of Cracking the Leadership Code. How are you? I'm great, Lee. I'm so excited for our conversation today. Thanks. Yeah, not, not as excited as I am. Um, so, <laughs> so, so for those people, I mean, th- there's not going to be many of them, but for those people who don't necessarily know who you are, who are you? And who have you got, am I? And have, have you got to sit in that seat today? Yeah, well, first I got to sit in the seat because you invited me here today, which is very exciting. Um, so I got into this work, which is around helping people become better leaders. And I should just preface this all by saying, as you're listening, you're thinking, well, maybe this doesn't have to do with me. My definition of leadership is this. I believe that any time that any of us are trying to get anyone else to get anything done, that takes leadership skill, that's influence. And if you think about it that way, we're all leading every day. So what Lee and I are going to talk about is totally inclusive of you. Um, so I got here because I have always been really interested in people. Because the fact is, I don't care what industry you're in. If you're in pharmaceuticals or high tech or manufacturing, you're in the people business. Like everything gets done in and through and with and because of people. And so I've always been fascinated in people. That has been my through line. I started off as a kid. I was actually a violinist. Uh, my father's family are all professional musicians. My father's one of five. Both of his parents were professional musicians. And I played the violin and I studied in New York. I studied with a member of the New York Philharmonic. I played in the Youth Symphony Orchestra of New York, performed in Carnegie Hall. So, and, and I played in a lot of different orchestras and smaller chamber ensembles and things. And it's amazing because depending on who the conductor of the orchestra is, it's a very different vibe. And I started to realize, wow, like who I work with makes a difference in how I show up, both my engagement as well as the end result. So both of those things. So I studied that and then I decided I didn't want to be a professional musician. Uh, so I went to liberal arts college and I dabbled in lots of different things. But I'd say the through line and everything I dabbled in, because it had to do with psychology and film and theater, mm-hmm. acting and playwriting, Uh, as well as things like Buddhist scriptures, it all had to do with the human condition. Like, what does it mean to be a person? What is meaning? You know, kind of those bigger questions. And when I got done with college, a lot of my classmates were getting their hair cut and buying suits and interviewing for jobs at investment banks. And I thought, oh, you're selling yourself out. What are you doing going to work at a corporation? Which I could, I was not there at the time. And so I ended up doing an internship at a regional theater in the United States as an actor. And then I decided I wanted more acting training. So I actually went on and got a master's in fine arts 
from a theater conservatory. So again, putting myself under the microscope, deciding, you know, how do I speak? How do I move? These are things, this is the traits of an actor because to inhabit a character, you need to understand that. So we studied things like dialect. So, you know, for example, a standard British dialect versus an American dialect or an Irish or a Scottish and all these different things that you would use for different plays, depending on what you were doing. And then I got done with acting school and I still had this real ideal notion that people come away from great works of art changed, that it, you know, somehow they impress us. And I, I still believe that to this day. However, what I found was the actual industry of the theater was a tough go at that. And I found myself gravitating more towards arts in education, like using these expression tools to help people in their own lives. So I got involved in schools doing conflict resolution and leadership training in junior high schools and high schools in back in New York City, which is where I grew up. And from there, a friend of mine said, hey, have you ever thought about doing any work in a corporate environment? Corporations? No, I never worked. <laughs> and so he invited me to go to a meeting. And long story short, I ended up getting a job with a training company that did experiential business simulations for Fortune 500 type companies. And it, these simulations involved they were very creative. So they involved using a lot of my drama theater skills because they were highly performative. But at the same time, I had to facilitate real honest dialogue. So I had to learn about how to draw people out and get them talking and adult education, as well as they all had business outcomes. So I had to learn about business. So that was back in 1997. So fast forward. Since then, I've worked with over 2,000 different groups in over 25 countries all around the world. And what I found was, as I started to work with more and more groups and literally tens of thousands of leaders, is I found that there were certain patterns that kept showing up. Turned out that the best leaders all had certain things in common and the worst leaders all had certain things in common. And I started taking notes because I feel that what really helps us learn best are stories. I wanted these specific examples. I would take little notes as I'd hear them. And then I'd turn those notes into blog posts starting in about 2011. And over time, I started committing to publishing one blog post a week. And I didn't miss a week for over four years. Wow. So four, four years later, I have 250 blog posts. I started to review all the posts and look for common themes. And what I found was there were those three common themes that kept showing up time and time again. There was a whole strand around connection, then there was a whole other one around communication. And then the third was around collaboration. And so those three became the subtitle of the book, which is the book is called Cracking the Leadership Code. The subtitle is Three Secrets to Becoming a Strong Leader, and which is around connection, communication, and collaboration. So the book ended up being published on March the 24th of 2020, right? As the entire world shut down <laughs> just, you know, just about a year ago since we're recording this today. And so really my work has morphed into helping people become better leaders, whether that's through writing or speaking or training or coaching or consulting. And that's how I met you, Lee, it was through that network. And here we are. That's why I ended up in this chair today. It was indeed. No, thank you for that. What a journey. What yeah. a journey. So, yeah. Did you, I want to just go back to the violin, if that's sure. all right. Of do you, course. Do you still play? Uh, occasionally, occasionally. Not as much as I did, but I do pick it up from time to time. Yeah, and when you decided to hang up the violin, um, mm -hmm. what lessons did you take from that that you still have now? My gosh, there are so many lessons from professional music. So number one is if you want to be good at anything, 
you need to practice and not just every so often when the mood hits you, you need to practice when you don't feel like it because there's a muscle memory to make things automatic. I mean, the whole goal of high performers, whether it's a high performing violinist or an athlete or a leader, frankly, is you have to be able to do things without thinking about them. And that's what the whole idea of practice is, is to get the unconscious autonomic muscle memory. You know, I'm moving my hand right here. It's like to get these fingers because I can't be thinking about where the fingers go. The fingers need to go where they go because it's in them from repetition and practice, whether that's learning your scales, your bowing. So that's one lesson for sure um, is huge. Another big lesson from those times is whether you're working with a teacher in a lesson, whether you're working with an orchestra conductor as well, is you have to very quickly, if you're going to manage yourself and to improve, you need to be able to separate yourself from the work, right? That is, in other words, you can't take criticism or feedback personally. When my, you know, when my uh, violin teacher in a lesson would say, that's not working so well, he's talking about this in the piece of music. He's not saying, Allah, you're a bad person. You're, 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 you have a, a tragic flaw that we can't fix. Like you have to learn to not take that stuff personally, which is hard because we all have egos and we all want to be seen and recognized and valued. So I think a huge lesson, which is applicable in so many areas is how do you, first of all, give and receive feedback in a way that people can hear it so they can actually focus on getting better at whatever they're doing, as opposed to this turning into some weird back and forth personality conflict. So that's a couple of the lessons. And then the other thing that's really important, and this I learned from playing in orchestras. So I was in the violin section, obviously, and there's two violin sections. There's the first violins and there's second violins. And then you have the rest of the string section, the violas and the cellos and the double basses. But then you have the woodwinds and you have all, you know, whatever, the clarinets and the flutes and the oboes and the bassoons, et cetera. You've got the brass section, you've got the percussion, right? And if you have a solo, it's like a pianist. So let's say you're rehearsing an entire orchestral thing and the conductor, needs to stop and rehearse something, let's say with the flutes, you know what the violins do? They sit there and they listen. They don't pull out their phones. Of course, we didn't have phones back then, but you just stop and you realize this isn't about me, but you keep your focus and your attention on other people. And again, I think that is a muscle that I think over time gets strengthened. So the idea of being able to work in ensemble and give other people your time, your focus, your attention and listen to what's going on because it may impact you in some way. So that ability to sit still, be quiet and listen, I have found to be an incredibly useful leadership skill. So those are just a few of the lessons that have come out from playing yeah, with violin. Wow. Wow, no, amazing, amazing. So the very first one that you said then, when you when you were physically playing the violin with your, with your hand, yeah. um, and I, I, I then saw saw your book over over your left shoulder or right shoulder. I, I, I get yeah, confu yeah. I get confused at which way it is and wh which side of you is that is. Yeah. Um, but your, your book's there, and when 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 you work with leaders and you want them to do things unconsciously, new things unconsciously, like you did with the violin. Um, is it just, uh, I guess my first question, because this might be a multi-part question, but my first part of the question is at what level do you break it down to? So when you're talking to a leader, um, because you can, you can say to them, can you, you can say to them, well, you need to uh, demonstrate some uh, humble curiosity or you need to all act or listen exactly like you've just said then, but how, do you break it down to that level or do you got a lot lower into, to get them to be, to become habitual? I love I'll, this question. I'll I love that. Yeah, I love that question, Lee. 
me, and, and, and this is in the book as well, I definitely break it down to even a smaller nth degree because I, the idea of any kind of muscle memory, behavioral thing, it's something that you should be able to do that is so clear that everyone should be able to do the same thing. So, because when I say, hey, Lee, you need to listen better. Listening better means different things to Lee than it does to Alain, that means to everybody else. So breaking this down to the lowest common denominator. So for example, if I'm working with a leader, and we're looking at, for example, listening, like we've been talking about that, is asking them, okay, so what we're going to focus on here is asking big, open-ended questions, okay? And let's actually have them generate a few. I said, okay, so let's talk about the next meeting you're going to have with someone on your team. Uh, what are some open-ended questions that you might ask? And so giving them a chance with me to come up with a few of them. So for example, um, what's on your mind or what's distracting you? you know, is a big open-ended question. And then might have them practice doing that with me or someone else, or how can I support you is a big open-ended question. And so under, and then having, or then having them practice follow-up questions once. And so we'll role play and I say something, how are you going to answer that? Because the goal with all of the habit formation is, yeah, ultimately what we want to do is we want to get people to this place of unconscious competence but you don't just get there like that. You have to go through the process and you're probably familiar with the cycle, but where you start off is with unconscious incompetence, whereas you don't even know what you don't know. It's like, all I know is that my people don't think I'm a good leader. And then you get the feedback and you find out, oh, actually you're a bad listener, Alain. So then suddenly you find out you are now consciously incompetent, right? It's like, now I know that I, I'm bad at this. I, I'm not a good listener. So then I go and meet with a coach and the coach says, okay, let's work on open-ended questions. Let's practice this stuff. And it's like, if you remember learning how to drive a car that first, you know, you're like, okay, put the car into drive, keep the front of the brake, brake, take the foot off the brake, put it onto the accelerator. Like there was this whole level of mental focus. That's conscious competence. And you had to do that for a long time until one day, suddenly you're now not thinking about it at all. You know, you're driving along and you could probably do 80 other things, you know, eat your lunch, while you're anyway, you get the idea. And that's when you move from conscious competence to unconscious competence. And that is that skill development is true in any category of behavior that you want to improve. So obviously it helps to have coaching and a methodology, but yes, very much breaking it down to the lowest common denominator so that people can uh, repeat this over time and they know why they're doing what they're doing. And yeah, and the book is broken down. Every section of connection, communication, collaboration is broken down into very specific practical things. I'll give you another example. So in the third section of the book, collaboration, I've, it, I've broken it down in that there's four essential needs that people have in order to work at their best. We all have a need for safety. We have a need for energy. We have a need for ownership and we have a need for purpose. And again, to me, those are still very high level things. So let's break down safety. One of the char characteristics of safety is psychological safety. If I said to you, okay, Lee, go and lead the team and be psychologically safe. Like, what do you do? Like you get the kind that you've heard, like, yeah, I'm supposed to do that, but what do I actually do? Versus, okay, Lee, when you meet with your team, make sure that in the team meeting, every single person on the team gets about the same amount of time to talk and that they all listen to each other, that you don't have one or two people dominating. You see how now we're breaking this down to something very tangible and that Lee, you actually need to, if you have five people on your team, you should write a list of everyone's names. And after they've spoken, I'm gonna ask you to put a check mark so you don't have to remember, did they speak or not? You can actually have a little running tab to see, oh gosh, well, who, okay, yeah, so Martha spoke. 
Um, and then, and then, oh, and then Martha speaking. What Martha's spoken three times, but look at this. Um, Jim hasn't spoken at all. So, so you're realizing, oh, because one of the things is that high-performing teams is there's equal amounts of airtime. Everyone speaks, everyone listens to each other. So you can start to cultivate that in your team. So the next time you're in the meeting and you know Martha tends to dominate, you're like, um, hold on, Martha. Before we hear from you again, Jim, I'd love to hear what do you have to say. Right. And so you can facilitate drawing people out in terms of this. So it's really breaking these things down to their most tangible, tactical little areas. And yeah, so I, I like to think my work is imminently practical. Yeah, no, I, it definitely is. And, and I, lo I love that. When, when you were talking then about the, uh, the list of the of five people, I remember when I was at school, um, it's a, a good number of years ago now, and, and I, I was too shy to... Um, to speak out at school and and be, we'd do it, we'd be in English lesson or whatever, and we'd all have to read a passage from a from a particular book. And I'd be that transfixed on, okay, seven people to go, six people to go, five people to go, four people to go, three, two, oh, it's my go. I'd I wouldn't be I wouldn't be on the right page. And I get myself which then compounded the problem of me not speaking out. So if a how do you if if a leader is focusing on ticking, but also actively listening, and because these are these are potentially new things to to leaders to do, what should they do first? Yeah, that's a really good question. It sort of depends on the situation, right? So, what you want to what you want to do first is start to get start to practice a skill that you can make some progress at, uh, and, and enough, and, and keep continuing on working on that one thing till you feel like you've made enough progress where it is becoming an unconscious habit. And then once you've got that, then you can add the next layer on. I mean, it's just like if you learn how to practice juggling, you know, you start with one ball. In fact, you start, you learn how to drop. That's the first thing they teach you. But then you go from one ball to two and then two to three. And then after you've gotten three for a while, then you go to four. You don't go from four to seven, you go four to five. And so this idea of you don't wanna keep adding new skills in until you've mastered a certain level a proficiency with the old skills. So it's really, you know, I wouldn't say, well, you start here, start there, pick one thing that's important to you that you want to get better at. And the other thing is that can help you in this is how can you get other people to support you and asking them for, can you keep an eye on this? Or, you know, let's say the example back to psychological safety is maybe you have someone else on the team is, hey, can you do me a favor and just keep track of, uh, and the person next to you, can you just keep track of when people are talking? I put a list of names, but I'm trying to focus. Can you just check when everyone's spoken because it's trying to help to make sure everyone speaks. So you can um, enlist other people to be your allies and supports in some of this as you build a scaffolding up to be able to get better at what you're doing. Yeah, no, I love that. Thank you, thank you for that. And uh, this doesn't come across, but um, I've been on a stand-up comedy course, mm -hmm. and, uh, and and at the start of that course, and the reason why I'm saying this as well. So the fir your first secret is about connection, and mm -hmm. at the start of the course, they said, "What's the secret to stand-up comedy?" And everybody went jokes, um, but it's not jokes. The the, the, the secret to stand-up comedy is also connection and, and trying to build that level of connection with your audience. So for stand-up comedy, it's connection, then performance, and then material. Um, and when we deliver change and when we lead people, we, we typically lead with or historically have led, led with material, negating the connection and the performance aspects of it. Um, so but what is it about connection that is important to you? And why is that the first step in, in your three secrets? Oh, gosh. I mean, I think I'm, I'm fascinated about the whole stand up comedy thing. I mean, I think it's the same reason 
that, and I'll use the stand-up comedy example. I always find this, right? Because you think about a well-known comic coming in and people have paid money and they're super excited. It's a headliner, right? Someone that's very famous. You could pick anyone in the world, right? That's famous in that way. Let's say a Jerry Seinfeld is because there's already this built-in connection to from previous stuff is that when you have connection, people give you the benefit of the doubt, frankly. I mean, think about it. I mean, like Jerry Seinfeld could come out on a stage and just like, hello, and, and everyone starts laughing, yeah. even though he's done nothing except he's building on the goodwill, the trust and the rapport he's built in their minds over previous history. So I share all that because if you think about what are we trying to do as leaders, you know, we are in the human being business. As I said earlier, it doesn't matter what industry you're in. It's about building connection and it's human to human. And when people feel cared for, in fact, there's been research on this, the number one thing that improves retention and engagement is people feeling cared for by their immediate supervisor. Because when people feel cared for, they can relax. They're like, oh, I know Lee, Lee cares about me. I don't have to kind of be on guard when I come on here. Kind of like when I come in to see a new comedian, it's like, uh, you know, there's that kind of testing the waters, like, are they going to be funny or like, uh, you know, and I'm, I'm, you know, the verdict is still out. So I'm not, I'm not all in. Whereas it's someone who I know and I like, and I trust I'm like, oh, Jerry Seinfeld, like I'm all in, like I'm going, you know, and there's that funny thing is people have, you know, psychologically people have this thing called loss aversion, which is, you know, once you decide something, you need to justify it to yourself. So for example, you're going to see I love the fact that I'm using this example. You know, if I've spent, let's say, 50 pounds to see Jerry Seinfeld in concert, you know, in the West End, right? I've invested a significant amount of time, money, and it like I'm the type of person who likes Jerry Seinfeld. I'm the type of person who would spend this much money. I'm the type of person who will laugh at his stuff. So I don't want to go there and, and have a bad time because that is going to be not at all aligned with who I think I am. So we don't do things that are not in accordance with our own belief in our identity. Identity is one of the most powerful things that either keeps people stuck in habits or changes them. So I say all this because connection is where people start to identify us and their relationship to us. So how they feel cared for, you know, that we take time and understand them. These are all things, you know, uh, the famous author, Dr. Stephen Covey used the wonderful analogy of talking about putting deposits in someone's emotional bank account, right? And so this idea of when we connect with people, when we show them that we understand them, that we care how they feel, that we value them as a person beyond just a position, a job, is we are putting in those deposits over time. And so when there's a, a, a hiccup, a bump in the road, you know what, we might have a little withdrawal, but we have so many credits that everyone's like, oh, it's fine, it's fine. Whereas if we are going at a zero balance with someone all the time, they are ready to jump and run at a moment's notice when something's going on. So connection is at the core of all that. Yeah, I, lo I love that. And I'm going to just continue the comedy line just for, just for a minute without telling any jokes. So the Jerry Seinfeld thing, when you sat there um, and you're uh, completely agree and resonate with everything you're saying so when you sat there jerry's at backstage he's about to come out you're saying to everybody around you i am going to have an amazing night tonight i am going to laugh and you and you believe in that because you've got that level of connection with with that comedian 
if you go to a comedy store or a comedy club and you don't know the acts that are on there, you are going, oh, I hope I'm going to have a good night tonight. I hope these guys are going to be, or, and girls are going to be funny. So your level of connection isn't there. And so that, that when that comedian steps out for the very first time, that they've, what they've got to do is to try to build instant connection with you. And, and what I've what I've established and what, what what they do is they'll use local reference. So if it's in a if it's in your local town, they'll say, Oh, I got out of the train station and I walked past this shop and this shop and this shop and this shop and this app I tripped over and felt blah 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 blah. But then because you're visualizing, you're walking, they're walking on the same paths as me. They walk, they walk, I know exactly where that shop is. So they're trying to get that instant connection and try to build it really, really quickly. Yeah. And actually, as you're saying that, what their psychologists talk about this as similarity attraction effect, right? And so the whole idea is people bond quickly with people who have similar things in common. So let's say, for example, do you have a, fam- a favorite football team, by the way? At Liverpool. Liverpool, right? So let's say you were traveling, not even in the UK, but let's just say you were traveling in Beijing, okay? And you, if you are walking around, you're in Beijing and you see someone wearing a Liverpool jersey or a hat, are you're going to like, whoa, in Be- you would probably want to even come over to them. Like, where'd you get that, right? This connection, because you have this, you know, that feeling. And so what you're describing is for us as leaders, we have to look for those signposts of what's important to other people and to drop hints to create those connections more strongly. Yeah. How, how would a leader do that? So if they've just got a new team or... Um, how would how do they go and build that connection as quick as possible? Great, great question. So, a couple things like if you uh, let's say you're working in a physical space with somebody, um, when you walk over to the space, do a quick scan of the environment. So, do they have pictures up? What are the pictures of? Right. So, people. I mean, you think there's a billion potential pictures someone could hang in their office or their cube. What do they have? So, if they have pictures of their kids guess what? Their kids are a little important to them. So, oh, take a look. You're, and then you can find like, oh, you've got, how old are your kids? Oh, they're seven and three. Oh, mine are 10 and seven. I remember those. And suddenly now we're bonding over being parents. Or let's say it's, they go alpine skiing, you know, great. Oh, oh where do you go? They, or whatever. Or where they, or you find out another thing you can do too. And this is really easy these days. Check out their LinkedIn profile. Right. Look at what people put on their profile, what where they've been to school, what their hobbies are, what what sort of stuff they do, how they write their profile. There's so many clues. And okay, so let's say you have none of that. You could ask them questions, right? It's like so, you know, and and again, open-ended questions and listen to them. Um, what are you excited about today? Or, you know, what kind of things are you working on that's really exciting? Or, you know, if even in any of these things are windows into someone's mind and their psyche and ways for you to start to look for making connections with them. I mean, for example, one thing that I always do is let's say I want to be on podcasts and there's certain podcasts. And I know that, you know, just getting a cold call or a cold email from a random guest, like, Hey, I, you know, and I've, I've talked to podcast hosts about this, where they'll say, you know, how many podcast guests email me? They're like, Hey, Lee, I would be an awesome guest on your podcast because I am an awesome dude. Yeah. And like how many are just pitching like that way? Like, and you're like, thank you into the rubbish bin versus, I mean, every single podcast or every single company in the world has some kind of a mission statement. Like my podcast is about this and I read through it. So finding ways to start from their point of view, right? It's like, okay. So if your podcast is about helping people become better leaders, like I noticed that in your write-up, your podcast is about this. My work is very aligned. I would love to talk to you about how I could help you help your audience, 
right? So suddenly it's not about how do you help me and get me on. It's now I'm a resource for you. And I think this is the big flip for a lot of leaders. So many leaders end up in these leadership roles and they think I'm in charge. You're here to serve me, right? Like they have that egocentric worldview of I'm, I'm the boss. You know, I get to tell you what to do versus I'm in a role like my job and my success is dependent on my ability to serve you. And if you succeed in your role, I succeed. Therefore, how can I help you? What can I do to help you better? And so it's flipping that script and getting, you know, or flipping the org chart pyramid, whereas realizing my role isn't to be in charge. My role is to take care of the people who are in my charge so that they can succeed. Yeah, perfect. I, I love that. I could talk to you all day, and unfortunately, I'm not allowed to. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but so another, another question for you: that, uh, cracking the leadership code. Do yeah. you foresee cracking the leadership code too, or have you cracked it? I, you know, it's. I don't know about cracking the leadership code too. I think we might explore some of these concepts. I mean, the fact is, connection, communication, collaboration. They're about as fundamental rock bottom principles as you're going to get. It's not like, oh, and we just discovered these new principles that, you know, connection isn't that important. No, um, I'm not sure. I think, frankly, you know, it's it's been interesting in this road. What I'm finding is as people are definitely appreciating the principles and it's helping is I, I'm really curious to see, to explore more around honesty with leaders. Um, I find that, you know, we know that from the research is that the number one characteristic that people admire in leaders is honesty, but it isn't just like, oh, Lee tells the truth. There's a deeper level of honesty and some people seem to be able to access it more easily than others. And I would like to explore that more. I'm not sure if that'll take the form of a book or not, but it's just, that's one of the subjects that's been on my mind lately. Yeah, no, perfect. I look, I look forward to, uh, to, to seeing and, and reading that. So when, when I first came across your book, it was around the time, actually. So um, we, we have a mutual connection in Anish. And, yes. um, and, and I spoke to Anish and he, he mentioned um, yourself and, and your work and stuff. And so I, I got a copy of the book. And but about 18 months ago, I, we've, we've got our four, four C's. We believe that the, the secret behind business improvement is, comes down to these four C's. Connect, connect, converse, collaborate and celebrate. Mm-hmm. Um, so our fourth one is celebrate, which, yeah. which, which comes afterwards and reinforcing all of those things. Where does the reinforcement and or the celebration part come in, in your leadership code? Yeah. So, you know, in terms of celebrating, and it's interesting because I've been running these 30-day leadership challenges where we actually break these habits down into their very small component parts and give people a chance to practice them in a micro-learning format asynchronously online. And one of the things around building habits is that you need to celebrate all of the wins, even the little tiny ones, because that's what embeds into the neuroprogramming. Oh, oh, this felt good. I need to do this again. So really for me, yeah, celebration fits in into all of it, that whenever yeah. you do anything, um, you need to celebrate it uh, in some way, because that will be a reminder to you that, oh, that worked well, let's do that again. Um, and, you know, a lot of people and a lot of organizations and cultures don't celebrate enough. It's like, oh, you know, that's, we can't do that. We have, we're business people. We have a job to get done here. So, yeah. yeah, no, yeah. completely. What, what's next for you, Alan? Well, as I mentioned before, um, right now I'm very focused on this leadership challenge. So I've run a number of cohorts through already. Um, I'm in in the middle of a cohort right now. We have about 60 leaders from, I think, 
10 countries going through, which is super exciting. Amazing. And uh, we're also now working where we're bringing the leadership challenge in-house to a number of different companies. So I'm working with clients to do that. So that's continuing on. And, you know, like much, much, much of the world waiting for things to open up again so we can do this kind of stuff face to face, hopefully in some capacity. But yeah, for me, that's what's continuing on, what's moving forward. I'm also, I've been writing for Forbes magazine. Now I'm a contributing writer for them where I, I do a monthly column on leadership strategy. So that keeps me busy. And so between that and clients and, you know, staying out of trouble, that's yeah. what's going on for me these days. I think I think there's enough on your plate there, isn't there? And, and I yeah. guess talking about on your plates, what are you having for your tea? What am I having for my tea? Well, this evening we actually cooked, I tend to like buy, you know, about like three kilos of, chicken breasts and I cooked them all at once. So I cooked them all yesterday for oh, the wow. week because I just don't have time. So what for tea tonight, uh, we've got somehow through this farmer's market locally, we ended up with all these heads of romaine lettuce. So I'm imagining we're going to have some kind of very cool salad with romaine and sliced chicken breasts and whatever else I can find to put in there. That'll be crunchy and interesting to put in. So that'll Amazing. be for tea. Hey, very healthy, very healthy. Yeah, hey, we try, good, we good try. So if people wanted to know more about you, your 30-day challenge, your book, where would they go? What would they do and, and, and what would they find? Sure. Um, easiest place to go to start with would be www.crackingtheleadershipcode.com, which is the book page. And right there, you can download the first chapter of the book to give it a preview. Um, that will also connect you to the alainhunkins.com, A-L-A-I-N-H-U-N-K-I-N-S.com website, where you can learn more about things like the 30-day challenge, also the work that I do with individuals, teams, and organizations through coaching, training, speaking, and consulting all under the umbrella of helping people to become a better leader. And also feel free to connect with me on LinkedIn. That is my social media of choice. You won't even find me on Instagram. Someone's like, you got to have an Instagram account. It's like, okay, the verdict is still out. Maybe, maybe I should set up one and have it redirect to, to LinkedIn, <laughs> um, you know, a placeholder. But uh, yeah, so you can find me there. Yeah, and I'm happy, and I, and I'm happy to answer any questions anyone has. Perfect. No, th thank you so much. And I think I, I think you, you mentioned it earlier on, but what you do is so practical and understandable that it allows everybody to take those small steps towards where they want to get to irrelevant of the starting place. Um, so and like I said, I could talk to you all day, but um, unfortunately, you're not, you're not going to let me. So no. <laughs> I just want to say thank you so much for joining me today. It's been an absolute pleasure to, uh, to, to dig a little bit deeper into, into your past and, and what's got you to that. In fact, actually, one final question. Yeah. Um, um, acting, are you, mm -hmm. are you ever going to get back into it? Well, here's the thing. I mean, I do keynote speeches. I mean, I bring a lot of that stuff into the work I do now. I mean, one of my people said, like, you're a really good storyteller. It's like, well, yeah, because that's how people learn. So, you know, whether or not I get into a more formal theatrical thing is yet to be determined. But, you know, right now I'm definitely using my chops, you know, the yep. things I've learned. I definitely <laughs> use them on, on a daily basis for sure. Yeah, amazing, amazing. So no, honestly, just thank you so much for your time this afternoon. It's been an absolute pleasure to chat with you. Good luck with everything that you've got going on and I hope to uh, to catch up again at some point very soon. Lee, thank you. It's really been my pleasure. I really have enjoyed our conversation. Thank you. Thanks for listening to Business Problems Solved. You can contact Lee on LinkedIn, Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter by searching for Lee Horton, the business problem solver, or via visiting www.leehorton.com for more content and to solve your business problems. 
And remember, saying you know how to do it is not doing it.